I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me as always are my two lovely and talented co-hosts mr eric smith hello and miss rachel t moore returning i'm back <laughs> and uh rachel is back for this very special episode um two-parter actually uh episode we <laughs> are sound like a very special blossom just uh, FYI. thank it's you yeah happens. i'm just having a flashback to after school specials in my head thank you for that um so uh this episode we actually have a very special guest um mr mark Meir, who you may recognize the voice if not the name uh he is the voice of commander shepherd in mass effect hello mark hello thank you for having me we're very happy to have him um as you know i've been pimping right and left and center the tiny plastic man series on hulu and i can't oh, wait yes thank you thank you for that we are very happy to have you on um mainly because i mean you've basically dipped into my dreams of uh acid filled craziness of that show it's just i love it thank you well thank you very much <laughs> that's I, we we aim for acid filled craziness <laughs> i just so tagline uh, it is. I don't think you understand. Like, I would wake up in the morning and I'd have a text from Jess. Have you seen it yet? I'd go to sleep. There'd be a text. Have you watched it? Did you let it? You can't go to sleep yet. And finally, I told her, look, I'll watch it with you as it, if you can get Mark Mirror on the, on, on the show and <laughs> we'll watch it together. And we started to watch it. And my husband wanders and he goes, what are you watching? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what I, how I feel about this. And like five episodes later, we're like, okay, we got to do other things. He goes, no. He says, we have to invite everybody over to watch the show. I am very glad to hear that. And, uh, and yes, of course, we are available for Americans to view now on Hulu. Uh, Tiny Plastic Men has been running for three seasons in Canada uh, on a channel called Super Channel. And uh, now all three seasons are available to American audiences for the first time. So we're very excited about that. And, uh, and we're happy to hear that you're enjoying it as well. Well, and I actually introduced Eric to it too. And I think he's in love with October. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I expect to see some October cosplay at cons. Oh, that would... Yeah, that's going to be great. I, I, but which which October? That's the that's the question. Which, yes, that's true. That's true. So I, to choose from. It's the the final episode actually of the ones that we have up on Hulu uh, is uh, one which involves uh, well, it's called Crisis on Infinite Octobers, an obvious nod to Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it involves many multiple uh, reality versions of October, including the wig, which Wanda. 
Oh, what? Yes. Uh, Wanda is the October from the Rule 63 universe. Where <laughs> and of course, he ends up falling in love with himself, which, spoiler yes. alert. Yeah, and actually, like, Wanda showed up in an earlier episode. Uh, it was actually our Die Hard episode, uh, where, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tiny Plastic Man is basically set at a toy company, and the main three characters are the prototype testers. Uh, who work in the basement and test all the toys. And uh, I believe it was in our second season. Uh, the season finale was our salute to Die Hard, and we had a big hockey uh, table hockey tournament at uh, the toy company. And uh, the, of course, there was an evil team, and they were from a made-up country called Latvania. And uh, basically, we all played different you know, members of the team. We were sort of like the evil, bizarro versions of ourselves. And uh, the evil, bizarro version of me was me in drag as, <laughs> as Wanda. Uh, and, uh, basically, yeah, we, as I say, it was sort of a diehard tribute and, uh, Crad, uh, one of the main characters was sort of cast in the Bruce Willis role. Meanwhile, October and Wanda kind of went off and had their own adventure. And, uh, ultimately we brought Wanda back the, the way that she disappeared in the episode, uh, kind of left things hanging. And then we kind of established that she actually was October from an alternate universe. And uh, and there were many other alternate universe versions of October. There was uh, the Golden Age version, uh, which was sort of from a steampunk universe. Uh, and he, of course, like Golden Age Superman, he had white hair at his temples. And uh, and various other ones. There was a robot one. There was one where, from the universe where everyone is an ape. And, and so on and so <laughs> forth. So um, speaking of the ape one, I, I had to ask, were you in the costume in the uh, the ape testing episode? Uh, no, in the ape testing episode, that was actually Amy Shostak, who plays one of the, one of the video game testers, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And, oh my god! Uh, she was she was actually uh, in the costume when we when we pitched that one to the network. Uh, initially, they shot it down because they were just like, "Oh, it's going to be far too expensive and dangerous to use a real orangutan." <laughs> <laughs> we never intended. To, we always intended. To- Someone in a suit, just so you know. Uh, You're going to train it to have sign language and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blow your budget that way. You expected us to find a, a real orangutan that spoke sign language and was able to you know, pull off all these stunts and stuff. Like, no, 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 we always intended it to be a person in a suit. Uh, and that really fits more with our low-budget sensibilities. Uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of show that it is. Yeah, we are, we are a microscopically budgeted uh, Canadian uh, comedy show. So, uh, so uh, what production values we do manage to squeeze out of it, trust me, they, we either got somebody to work for free or, uh, or we just made it work on a shoestring. Well, it seems like it might not be like horribly difficult to get people to pitch in, though, because from watching the show, I think it comes through that there's a lot of joy in making it, that you guys are having a great time and oh, yeah. that you like I mean, each other. <laughs> Yeah, I should mention like nobody worked for free on this, but a lot right. of the, a lot of the say more uh, complex costumes and props and things that you might see in the show are actually from my personal collection. So uh, I own that orangutan costume and uh, the Cthulhu costume, which you may have seen show up uh, a couple of times. And uh, for example, in the vampire episode, I was wearing uh, my own teeth and contacts and stuff like that. So that that tends to stretch the production dollars a little further. Well, and that was one of the questions I was going to have was how much of that is actually your stuff and how do you, like the makeup quality is, is really good for, you know, I can, you know, it's a low budget show, but at the same time, you do really good stuff here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Like, we do have uh, excellent makeup artists uh, that work on the show. Uh, but uh, as I say, a lot of those uh, silicone masks uh, are, again, my personal possessions and they're made by a company called Composite Effects. 
that's out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I'm a big fan of their stuff. I own many of their pieces. And they actually made a custom Vorcha mask for me, uh, which I'll be wearing at DragonCon this year. I debuted it at the Edmonton Expo uh, this year, but uh, I'll be taking it down to DragonCon. And, uh, yeah, as I say, uh, a lot of these things are, are things that, that I own already. And uh, as one of the creators of the show, of course, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to bring my things in. So, Rachel, I think you were right. It was an excuse for him to just dress up. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I said if it were if it were me, I'd I'd look at because oh, for the listeners, one of the great um, parts of the show is the format that there are these opportunities for sketches throughout the show that mm. um, work in pretty naturally. And uh, I was saying, you know, I would just I would think that as a creator, it would be like, oh, I have this costume. How can I make <laughs> make sure that I use it because it's awesome. Like on the Cthulhu costume. Yeah, on occasion there are. Uh, I think in the uh, – my friend Tony Benz was actually the one that wrote the uh, Cthulhu's uh, serial. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think originally the, uh, the script just called for it to be like a cultist or you know, some kind of Cthulhu priest. Uh, and I, of course, went, uh, I have a Cthulhu costume. Why don't we just have Cthulhu <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, and, uh, and a lot of the, the props that you see behind October in the show, like we, we each sort of decorate our own areas. The art department's really good about allowing us to, you know, personalize our own spaces. And uh, so a lot of the collectibles that you'll see on October shelves and things like that, they're, they're all mine. They're all from my house. So tell us where Danger Car came from then. Danger Car, well, Danger Car, uh, let's see, I think Chris Craddock wrote that episode. And uh, it, uh, it, it is a car that we have, and I, I believe between seasons it lives in a glass case in the producer's office. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a car that is very dangerous. It has things like uh, electroshock action and uh, uh, <laughs> a knife that just pops out of the side. And a, ammonia gas. <laughs> yes, ammonia cloud, uh, which is guaranteed to blind you. And, uh, oh, sister killing action. It also <laughs> So, yeah, all, all of the toys that uh, Gottfried Brothers uh, toys, uh, the company in the show, all of the toys that Gottfried Brothers makes are usually in some way dangerous or possibly uh, blasphemous or <laughs> generally something that you wouldn't want a child to actually be playing with. The best kind of toys. Exactly, yeah. The kind you had uh, in the 80s. Sorry? The kind you had in the 80s. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, lawn, lawn darts. Anyone remember lawn darts? That used to Absolutely. be absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Just sharp pieces of metal that you throw, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you get into acting and improv? And did SCTV kind of like mold that for you uh, at all on television? On television, yeah. SCTV most definitely uh, was a huge influence on me. And it, it actually was uh, shot here in Edmonton, uh, a couple of seasons of it. And uh, our second season was actually filmed uh, in the facilities that they used. Oh, wow. Uh, although our third season wasn't. We've, we've basically had a new location every season. And we've kind of written that into a show as a joke about the, the fact that the building always seems to be changing and they're always remodeling. <laughs> Just the layout. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, by necessity, we've had to move uh, from location to location, but we've kind of tried to include that as an in-joke in the show. That's funny. So, and, uh, uh, Oh, and I was going to mention that SCTV, as I say, was hugely influential, and I uh, ended up uh, becoming friends with and working with on multiple occasions uh, Joe Flaherty, who, of uh, course, oh. 
uh, Count Floyd. Uh, yes! <laughs> and Guy Caballero and, you know, tons of other awesome characters. And Joe, uh, every now and then, Joe will come up to Edmonton and do a show with us. I've gone down to L.A. and uh, worked with him at uh, Second City when he did an improv soap opera down there. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's really cool to get, eventually get to meet people that you greatly admired uh, as you were growing up. That is awesome. I, I Count Floyd was always one of my favorites from that show. And I watched it when I was like four, which is crazy. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, because I, I grew up watching a lot of syndicated television that came from Canada um, yeah. in the late 80s and the early 90s. Uh, Degrassi was one, mm-hmm. but the ones like for me were, were things like Dracula the series and Forever Night. Um, oh, Forever Night, I remember that one, yeah. And and they're all, you know, like uh, Nigel Bennett, I think, still is a big presence over there, and Garrett Garrett Davies. Did did you watch those shows growing up too? I'm I'm just curious if the, if Canadian uh, kids watched these as well, or was it just stuff that they sent over here? Oh well, you know, nerdy Canadian kids who were into vampires for sure watched those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I certainly watched Forever Night and. I remember, you know, uh, back then, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, there wasn't the huge abundance of genre television that we have today. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, think about it. Like, there's, you know, a half a dozen shows that are just superhero shows on TV right now. There are, there's like a number of zombie shows on television right now. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish I could go back in time and tell myself, you know, don't worry. Eventually, all the things you want will be on television. <laughs> <laughs> so um kind of uh feeding into that because now we have such a plethora of of action figures and things like funko is literally trying to make me go bankrupt <laughs> what's the rarest action figure you own oh that i own the rarest action figure i own yeah I or should... the most like what's your most precious action figure to you well, I mean, ultimately, it's going to be the Commander Shepard action figure because, you know, getting an action figure of yourself is probably on every nerd's bucket list. And I, I managed to check that off. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I have a couple of those, one in package, one not. Though generally, I do open all my toys. Like, I have a, I have a pretty big action figure collection, and almost all of them are out of the package. Uh, so as far as rarest thing, you know, I, I try to not to think about which of mine are the rarest because, you know, I'm sure I have some that if they were in the package would be worth hundreds of dollars, mm-hmm. but they're not. So they're worth the plastic they're made out of. <laughs> but there, are, there are a few things that I still own from uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I've got, I've still got my Atat, uh, my original. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I've still got uh, oh, uh, about like it's a three foot tall Shogun Warrior. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And I, had, <laughs> I had that when I was a kid, and I managed to managed to hold on to that throughout the years. And so he's he's down in my basement. Uh, it's a great Mazinga, actually, is who I have. And uh, he was he was awesome, you know. He fired missiles and things like that. Uh, I lost most of the missiles, but thanks to eBay, I have replaced them all. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, okay, just kind of off topic, but how how big did your eyes get when you saw that footage for Star Wars Battlefront? Oh man, that looks amazing! Uh, oh my you know, god! Of course, all the E three stuff's been coming in uh, over the last few days, and. Uh, so yeah, Battlefront looked great. Uh, I cannot wait to you know drive an AT-AT for myself. And uh, I mean, of course, you got to do that in previous games, you know, the the previous Battlefronts games. But this one looks pretty amazing, I have to say. Uh, also, of course, the the new Mass Effect game. There's uh, that looks very exciting. It's more of a teaser than anything else, but it's a ways off. 
the new Fallout game got me very excited. Uh, I'm a huge oh Fallout. Yeah. You can't have your own Pip, Pip Boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get on Amazon and order that one right away, but I'm on the waiting list. I'll, uh, hopefully one will come out when, oh, available. People, people are going to murder each other for that Pip Boy thing. I know. Kidding, right? It's going to be oh. like the new Nike. It's going to be like, I'm going to shiv yeah. you and steal your Pip Boy. <laughs> I'm that for sure. And... Uh, that, oh, and of course, uh, I should mention The Long Dark, which is a game that I'm working on with Interland Studio, and it uh, was announced uh, that it will be available on Xbox. It's uh, It's been on Steam. It's still in alpha on Steam, but uh, even though it's just in the alpha sandbox stage, it uh, currently has, I think, about a quarter million players plus, and uh, folks are really enjoying it. It's a survival game uh, set in the Canadian North after, uh, a sort of, in a post-apocalyptic setting that's nonetheless very realistic. There's no mutants or zombies or anything. You're just trying not to freeze to death or starve to death or be eaten by a wolf. Uh, and <laughs> the that's damn wolves. I, I, damn oh. and so that is, that will be available on the Xbox one. Yeah. I've, I've pimped that on, on fangirl magazine. Um, uh, because I, I started playing it and all of a sudden I looked down, I'm like I've been playing this for eight hours. <laughs> I need to stop now. It's like, but I need to find another can of beans. And, oh, uh, you damn wolf! But of course, uh, that game also, uh, like Mass Effect, in- involves both myself and Jennifer. So you can either play as Jennifer Hale or as me. And uh, they haven't recorded their bits yet. But uh, Elias Tufexis, who plays uh, Adam Jensen in uh, Deus Ex, uh, will be he'll be in the game as well as David Hayden, uh, who many of you may know as the voice of Solid Snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Metal Gear Solid games, and also, of course, a great screenwriter. He did the Watchmen screenplay and uh, X2, I believe. And uh, so, uh, so yeah, looking forward to working with all of them. And, and of course, we're all Canadian, so it's a very, very Canadian game. In fact, some people have described it as player versus Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband's already asked this of me to ask you, are you coming back for Mass Effect Andromeda? Uh, well, I, pr- I couldn't possibly say at this point. I could not possibly say. I think Bioware has gone on record many times as saying that uh, the Mass Effect trilogy was the end of Shepard's story, uh, Commander Shepard's story. But, uh, you know, I do play quite a few aliens in the Mass Effect trilogy, so uh, here's hoping. We'll see. I I, I was like, I'll I'll ask, but I'm sure he can't tell you at this point. I'm sure if you guys want to start the online petitions now, please go ahead. (laughs) We will do that. We are known as I'm just going to start rumors. I've I've worked on all the Bioware games. I'm I'm hoping uh, to get some work on this one, obviously. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, as recently as Inquisition, I've worked with, with Bioware. So you know, they 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 clearly have my number. And uh, if there's any Vorcha required or anything else, I'm sure they'll they'll let me know. So I, I kind of want to. I've got so many questions for you, but I'm I'm trying to keep them. But I'm like shotgunning all of this at you. But going back to Tiny Plastic Men really quickly, I I wanted to ask because of this how the format of the show is when you go into it, do you have the idea of the sketches already in between that you want to do, or do you put them all in a file to pull out later thinking, okay, this will work for this. Uh, No, generally, generally we uh, write the sketches to go with the script and uh, we sort of take turn. We break the season together and we break the episodes individually together, like figuring out their beat sheets and whatnot. Uh, But then uh, each of us is sort of assigned a certain number of scripts per season and we take them away, we write them and then we bring them back uh, to the group. Chris Craddock is our head writer uh, who plays Crad on the show. And uh, so it's him, myself and Matt Alden. uh, We're the co-creators of the series and we write it together. Uh, so when we bring our finished scripts back, you know, the other guys might take a pass at it or 
one of them might go, uh, oh, I've got an idea for a sketch that would fit nicely here. Uh, and then we might write that sketch together or, for example, like say on one of Chris's scripts, he might ask me to write a sketch that fits in, that slots in in a certain area and I'd write that and get it back to him. And uh, yeah, so it's a fairly collaborative process. Uh, and then we also usually, once we've gone through a few drafts, we'll, we'll get together, do an episode read and, uh, and then some jokes will just come up during the read. Like, we'll we'll think of new things that we come up with through improvisation that we might end up putting into the script. And to a certain extent, there's even some improv on the set as well. Because we've got the, the writers there on set all the time, uh, we're usually able to approve any changes. Or, you know, if we if we come up with an idea that, that hadn't occurred to us before, it's easy to put it into the script. Gotcha. And kind of moving to the improv part of it, I just have to ask, after 53 hours of no sleep, how, where does your brain go at that point? Well, usually it's, I think you're referring to the uh, marathon improv shows that I do. Uh, yes. Like, we do them around the world. We started them here in Edmonton. It was a company called Dynasty, and we do a weekly live improvised uh, soap opera with a, a continuing narrative. And uh, usually it's like in period costumes and things like that. So people come back week to weeks to see how the story progresses. And uh, we a few years ago, well, I guess about 20-odd years ago, we started doing a thing called the Improvathon or the Sopathon, which kicked off our season and was a 50-hour-plus long show uh, that many of the actors did without sleeping. And uh, so, yeah, I was the very first one to go all the way through without sleeping. And uh, it's, it's a really fun thing to do it's, uh, for, for the performers and for the audience. And we do have some audience members that stick for the whole thing. Uh, so subsequently, we've had you know guests come in from around the world, and some of those guests, like uh, our friends from uh, the United Kingdom, uh, they basically took it back to London and they started one there. And I've I think I've attended all of the London fifty hour ones. Uh, I just did one a couple of weeks ago, actually. And uh, they, yeah, it's a it's a really fun thing to do. So by the by the end of it, if you do the whole thing, you're probably going to be up for longer than fifty hours because that's just the performance time. So yeah, you're looking at about 60 plus hours. And the first few times that you do it, it is like dropping acid or going crazy. Like you will, <laughs> you'll hallucinate, you'll have paranoia, you'll have, you know, uh, strange spatial uh, <laughs> problems, things like that. Uh, and the more that you do it, uh, the more that sort of stuff falls away. I've done it. Let's see. The, the one that I just did in London was my 27th time all the way through. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, various ones in England and, and in Canada. And, uh, you know, you still get tired, but you don't go around the bend like you used to. <laughs> and in some ways I miss it because it's sort of added to that sort of vision quest aspect of the whole show. Uh, so I, in some ways I miss the hallucinations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So speaking of delirium, mm -hmm. how did you discover the works of H.B. Lovecraft? Well, you know, I've been, I've been a nerd a long time. Uh, <laughs> I guess I first came to... Call of Cthulhu through Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, you know, uh, playing and reading the Call of Cthulhu rule books is what got me to actually read the original source material. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, through general nerdery is, uh, how I came to HP <laughs> Lovecraft. Uh, and subsequently, uh, I've had my, you know, I, I always had at least a low key interest in HP Lovecraft because of course he's like hugely influential to uh, modern horror writers and I, I like horror. Uh, but, uh, more recently I had my interest in him reignited because I started doing this, uh, Cthulhu LARP over in England, uh, with a lot of the guys that, uh, do the 50 hour show over there. And they, they do a private one. It's not open to the general public. It's just sort of created 
you know, by a group of friends for their other friends. Uh, and it's like being in an improvised horror movie. It's, uh, they spend months building the props for it. There's huge set pieces. There's, uh, amazing places that locations, uh, the guys that I know, they, uh, they're friends with a lot of people who operate historical sites and museums and things like that. So we've got to play on any number of awesome locations. And uh, again, just completely uh, separated from the general public. So there's a real sense of immersion there and period. And they, they go to the trouble of, you know, the, the place you're staying might have a period radio in the corner that they can broadcast through. And they can broadcast like oh, wow. shows, but also like clues and, you know, eventually something supernatural starts happening with the radio. And yeah, just uh, it's really, really quite an amazing thing. Do they film them, or is it just to to go over there and do? And, and... I think there there have been so they you know occasionally because it is still like an RPG, so you've got judges in the corner and things like that, usually wearing like a hat and trench coat, like you're supposed to ignore them; they're not there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and so occasionally they'll film little uh, little bits. Uh, but uh, for the most part, no, it's it's just a very special experience that's created just for you. Oh my god, and, that's awesome! Yeah. It's and amazing. Yeah, so it's like like a murder mystery, but with you're in character for maybe the entire weekend, and and it's also based on H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, so you know, rather than running around in the woods with like a rubber sword and and hobbit feet on, uh, you're you know in a nice country house wearing a three piece suit, and uh, maybe you'll be issued a blank gun. But because it's Lovecraft, the only thing that your gun will affect is the other players. <laughs> that is freaking amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, as I say, it's one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's really uh, in recent years that's really sparked my uh, my HP Lovecraft love. Wow! Oh, go ahead, Eric. I think you're. Well, I was just going to say you you could do that without any sleep, and it will increase the insanity. Exactly. Which, yeah. Of course, is always a factor. This is true. This is true. Yeah, it's, but sadly, I've conditioned my body so that I can stay up for sixty or seventy hours <laughs> without going insane. <laughs> So, what would um, what is your favorite Lovecraft adaptation, uh, film wise, that you've ever seen? Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, stuff that uh, the H.P. Lovecraft uh, his, uh, Society uh, has put out, like the the actual 1920s style Call of Cthulhu, like they did it as a silent film. That's and, fantastic. Uh, that's yeah, it's really really quite impressive. And and done at using the technology that existed in the year that the story was written, and I think they also did Whisper in the Darkness, uh, which is another great one. And uh, they they kind of uh, extrapolated from that when they added on a, a big action sequence in the end that has like a stop motion uh, Migo or Migo, however however you choose to pronounce it. And uh, yeah, so there have been some really cool things done there. Uh, also, the the same friends that I have mentioned, uh, they. Uh, did they do uh, films of their own? Uh, they don't film the games, but they do make uh, Lovecraft-inspired uh, films. And uh, I believe that their most recent one uh, won the HP Lovecraft Film Festival uh, in Portland, uh, and a couple of others. They won, I think, the Philip K. Dick Festival. It's uh, called Vomica, uh, and it's uh, got direct Lovecraftian ties. It's set during World War II. As as are uh, most of the games that we play, they're sort of with a world, they're Lovecraft, but in a World War II setting. That is awesome. That was going to be my next question for you: Is have you ever gone to the HP Lovecraft Festival in Portland? I have not. Uh, although uh, when I got back from my trip to England, waiting for me was uh, the DVD of the HP Lovecraft. Oh, film nice! Of last year, because I wanted to, I wanted to pick up Vomica. And, and uh, there's some other films on there. Black Sugar, which was also really cool. I've seen that one uh, online. But uh, looking forward to watching the other ones. That's great. There's also a bar. There's a Lovecraft bar. I, I don't understand why Portland, Oregon so much, but 
there's a huge Lovecraft thing going on here, and I it's it, you would think that would be in Maine, right? Are you guys out of Portland? We're in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, okay. There you go. And uh, yeah, I've I've never visited Portland, though I have friends that live there, and I'm told it's an excellent city. It is very pretty, um, but yeah, there is an H.P. Lovecraft bar. Uh, well, I was mentioning, of course, uh, we were talking about H.P. Lovecraft, and there's there's a fairly strong H.P. Lovecraft thread running through Tiny Plastic Men, available on Hulu. If you look at the map of the town, right next to Godfrey Brothers Toys is the Temple of Cthulhu. Cool. Well, and, if I ever if I ever come to Portland, I will visit that bar. I'm sure. And a Tardis bar of all things, too. <laughs> It's oh, yeah. random. There's one of those in New York as well. I've been to that one. <laughs> um, so uh, I think we're going to move on to our next segment, which is not quite as happy, but we're going to make it nice. Um, uh, we lost one of the greats of horror as we've been talking about horror. It's uh, a good segue into this. Uh, last week um, in the form of Sir Christopher Lee. And also, we're going to bring in a friend of the show, Jean St. Jean, and also massive vampire geek, um, who wanted to be a part of this as well. So I'm going to go get Jean here, and we're going to bring him in. We are coming together tonight to um, discuss our love of Sir Christopher Lee and how his work has affected us, our favorite things that he has done. And um, I'm just going to start it off because I know, Jean, you, um, you're, you like me, are a huge hammer horror nut. And uh, what are your, some of your memories of Christopher Lee's work and uh, some of your favorite things that he has done? Well, I read uh, the original Dracula when I was probably maybe eight or nine years old. And before that, like maybe when I was five or six is when I first seen like Bella as Dracula. And I never really liked vampires then because there was no fangs. There's none of these, none of the things that really kind of delineate it until I had run into Till I had seen one of the brutally cut up versions of some of Christopher Lee's Dracula movies in the 70s when I was, maybe I was 10 or 12 at the time. And before that, I loved the Dracula book, but Bella didn't do it because he had no fangs. I always thought he was kind of lame. And then I saw Christopher Lee and he had the red eyes and the fangs. And one of the movies, he even has the mustache, which old Dracula has in the original book. And I was like, wow, this is what Dracula is. This, and that's what initially sucked me in. And then from there, and there's all sorts of other oddball stuff, like he had done Rad, Rasputin the Mad Monk. And I love his version of uh, Jekyll and Hyde, Eye Monster. Oh, yeah. And just, you name it, he's done it. Sherlock Holmes. I have, I even have a audiobook version of The Exorcist with him as the narrator. What? It's just, wow. Yeah. What? It's, it's chilling. <laughs> I was listening to it one night in the studio, and my studio is kind of the second floor over my garage, and there's trees that have these walnuts. And between walnuts and squirrels and raccoons running on the roof, there's in the initial infestation of the demon in the story, the mother hears rats, what she thinks are rats in the attic. So I'm listening to that part with his voice, and I'm hearing stuff running around on the roof of the studio. And I knew what it was, but it still just creeped me out all the same. You know? So those are, those are kind of the high points. And then I always – one of the things that always sticks in my mind, probably the low point of his career, was uh, Howling 2 or Howling 3. Oh, God, the Howling 2. <laughs> Your sister's a werewolf. <laughs> it was funny. He was hosting a werewolf retrospective on like – Turner Classic Movies or something, like maybe 10, 12 years ago, and he brought that up. 
he said, and of course, my only, my only voyage into the werewolf realm was in this was in a certain howling film. I forget his exact words, but he was like, and we won't talk about that. <laughs> he actually apologized to Joe Dante for doing that movie. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, um, what's some of the reminiscing that you have uh, about Christopher Lee in your life? Well, I, similarly, uh, you know, uh, the Bella Dracula, of course, she's classic. But uh, for me, Christopher Lee was Dracula. And uh, I think the first thing that I saw was Taste the Blood of Dracula on TV. Uh, there used to be this thing called uh, Scream Theater that was, oddly enough, even though I lived in Canada, we got our American uh, feed from Detroit. Uh, so, there was, <laughs> there was, And I lived in Western Canada. But there was a channel uh, uh, in Detroit that broadcast this thing called Scream Theater, and they would show like a lot of old hammer horror. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it, he, was, he was Dracula for me first. I also saw The Wicker Man at a surprisingly young age, and uh, that, you know, that, was, that was really freaky. <laughs> How young were you when you saw The Wicker Man? I think I was probably about nine or ten. Uh, probably a little young. <laughs> You're never too young. Yeah, but I you don't, know. I don't know. Horror, <laughs> horror movies had already warped my brain at that point. So. I was, Jess, you're acting all shady, but when did you see Exorcist the first time? When I was five. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we don't speak of that. <laughs> Um, so, Rachel, um, um, what what are some of your memories of Christopher? Well, you know, not to be the cliche me, but, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up with any horror. So when I was very small, he was very comforting to me because he was in the last, he did a voice in The Last Unicorn. And he was in an episode of um, Fairy Tale Theater, <laughs> the, the man the, who, the boy I, who had the shivers, I think. Yeah. And, and, yeah, he played like two roles in that, I think. Yeah. And so I knew him that way and, and kind of went into the, the horror stuff later. And I, I think, you know, for me, I can close my eyes and hear his voice. You know, it's the most, um, it's just one of the most iconic voices I can think of. And, you know, I'm a voice actor geek. So um, the fact that he could express so much with his face is one kind of acting, but the fact that he had that kind of, um, he could, he could chew the scenery, but he had a subtlety and a, and a, um, strength of performance that came through. Even when you're watching a movie, if you close your eyes and just listen to his performance through his voice. And I think that that's, uh, that's part of the reason why he's so, um, enduring in that way. Uh, Eric, what do you um, what do you remember the best about him in your life? When I was growing up, uh, we had a local show on Friday nights called Big Chuck and Houlihan, uh, and it eventually became Big Chuck and Little John. And they would show uh, sort of blocks of movies. So for six weeks, you would get like Basil Rathbone's Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> and then for the next five or six or so weeks, you'd get old. Uh, sci-fi movies, and then they would do that block of however many Christopher Lee Dracula movies. Just tons of hammer horror. So he was he was Dracula to me. Um, and I know this is the wrong crowd to say this, but I'm not a huge vampire fan. <laughs> what? But I know. <laughs> How dare but, you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> but, but Christopher Lee was 
the quintessential vampire for me. And as a little kid watching it at two o'clock in the morning, it was absolutely terrifying and uh, gave me nightmares, but in, in the best way. Uh, I think for me, um, I, growing up with the odd fact that, yes, I did see The Exorcist when I was five, but I also saw all of the Hammer films growing up with my sister, and that's how I got introduced to him. And I eventually got that love of him as well. The fact this man portrayed, we won't talk about the werewolf thing, but he portrayed <laughs> uh, Frankenstein's creature. He portrayed the mummy. He portrayed Dracula. He was Jekyll and Hyde. And not only that, but he was both Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes. And he was Sherlock Holmes twice, actually. Plus, he was Sir Henry Baskerville. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was so culturally relevant in that. And and the fact that he touched upon all of these different literary characters, too. How many men today and actors today can you say that about? That and that endured for that long and was still doing work at at the age that he was. I mean, he still had a, a film in, on tap to go do before he got put in the hospital. Yeah, and beyond horror, of course, you know he was uh, you know, a Bond villain in the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. villain. Yes, mm-hmm. that's Scaramanga. Yes. Did you? Get, did any of you see the Gorman miniseries that the BBC did? I think he played Flay in that, and it's it's. One of those things that people forget about, but it's a great role for him. That was the one with Jonathan Rice Myers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, uh, in, in his later years, all his like awesome little cameos in uh, Tim Burton movies. Oh God! Uh, uh, like Sleepy Hollow was basically a hammer flick. Yeah, it's like the Bloody Judge or something all over again. Oh, yeah. Gosh. But the other thing that I I was amazed about was the fact that I went back and like, how old was he when he was doing these Musketeer movies? And he was doing musketeer films, doing his own sword work. But I, from what I can see, at 1989, when he was almost 70, <laughs> and he was lifting up a full-size sword and and working in these costumes in the heat, and I'm just like that. They don't make guys like that. Yeah, well, he was a, he was a big man as well. Like he was about six five, I think. Yeah, he was. He like, couldn't get work for forever because of it. They wouldn't. They when his first uh, screen appearance, he has this bit role in a movie, and he had they made him be seated through the entire scene because <laughs> he was so much taller than the leading man. Well, the other thing I found interesting was he was told early on in his career that he could not be a romantic lead because he was too foreign looking, and <laughs> and I'm sort of like. What? <laughs> Are you nuts? <laughs> but, of course, when he started his career was back, what, like in the early 40s or late 30s or something like that? Oh, yeah, but you tell that to like a World War II hero, and that's sort of like, really? <laughs> you guys are jerks. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the one movie that I have not gotten to see, I think I've seen bits that I've always wanted to see of his, was Arabian Adventure. And I don't think that's available on DVD, which sucks. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's it actually has Emma Sams and, um, oh gosh, who else was in it? Uh, but it was sort of like a, a throwback to those old um, Arabian flicks, like uh, 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 where the flying, the whole flying carpet thing and all of that. And he plays like the, the evil bad guy, of course. And he's like the Sinbad movie. movies? Yeah, like the old Sinbad flicks. Nice. And it was done in like 1978, maybe? <laughs> uh 
but the other part that I will, I can't just, I can't pull them apart in my brain is his, his uh, work and friendship with Peter Cushing. And the two of them are always going to be intertwined to me. And when I think of Van Helsing and Dracula, those are it. I mean, you're never Batman and Joker of Hammer films. They totally were. And then that you have the couple of times where they actually like uh, help each other out, but it's still, you know, they're always going to be Van Helsing and Dracula to me. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask everybody, it's going to be really hard for you to do this, but what do you think is your favorite Christopher Lee film? We'll start with Rachel. Do you have any? No, that's not fair. <laughs> have any idea how many movies this guy made? I no, but like he worked more than any actor of his generation. I, I, I know. Like, I know. I'm not exaggerating. I know, but you gotta you you have to have an idea of a one of your favorites that you can oh think gosh. of. Wow. I kind of hate you a little bit right now. I, I'm I mean, sorry. I just need I, you to understand. You know, it's this is a tribute, and we want to know what. That's the hardest question. I'm going to ask Rachel ask, first. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm <laughs> stalling. I'm totally stalling. Eric, I'll the, give this one to you. No, I'll the problem is that it, it, you you love this at us, and we have to think through all his movies, and I'm not even like halfway through. I, it was not a surprise we were doing this. You should have been on your brain. No, nope. I'm just going to come right out and say The Wicker Man. Just off the top of my head, I'm going with that. And why? Well, because it's not a vampire movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is mean. <laughs> um, I just I love his performance in it, and it's it's one of those films that's that's stuck with me for uh, for a long, long time. And it's not a crappy Star Wars movie. Amen. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> Count Dooku is great, but come on. You, you've got to admit that even in the worst crap that he was in, because he was in like Police Academy Mission to Moscow, for God's sake. <laughs> um, just going to throw that out there. That no matter how bad the film he raised it up. He brought like a, a royalty to his part, no matter what it was. Right. Because no matter how crappy it was, you'd be like, oh, Christopher Lee. Yeah. Exactly. I, you still have that. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think that I'm going to like step out on a limb and say that my favorite would be his portrayal of, um, Terry Pratchett's death, um, in the, the, um, Discworld miniseries, because I think when I first read, Discworld, I already heard it in Christopher Lee's voice. And so when they got him to do the voice, that was everything to me. So I, I'm going to have to say that. Aww. Okay, Gene, I'm going to give it to you. Well, I'm going to have to go classic with it. I think I've seen most of his stuff, but um, like for me, as I got more into the whole vampire thing, he even to this day, he's still the best Dracula. I liked the, mm-hmm. some of the later stuff like Frank Langella and Gary Oldman but the one place they didn't go with Christopher Lee is they didn't go into all the sappy romance crap. Mm-mm. And he was a feral, nasty, like, dead monster. And I always loved that portrayal, which has really not been touched other than in later movies when they kind of got, they try to expand the character too much and sort of lose the point. But aside, so I'd have to look at his work as Dracula as kind of one movie. Because if you look at individual movies, they're more like episodic television. They're not thick enough story-wise to really say, wow, what a great movie. 
but he kind of made them great. So I'd look at all of that work as kind of one sort of one turbo movie. But aside from that, the the other character which I'd have to look at almost equally would be Scaramanga because I was a total Bond freak when I was a little kid. I read all the Ian Fleming books, I watched all the movies, and when that one came on television. I was blown away. I was like, that's Dracula playing the man with the golden gun. <laughs> and so those two characters, just because of my love of those two particular genres, they would have to, I'd have to go with kind of a broad spectrum between Dracula and that one. Well, I'm kind of flipping back to the literary part of, of his career. The fact that he was like cousins to Ian Fleming in real life. And he right. met J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And he was also involved, allegedly even involved in um, a certain amount of SAS kind of. Oh, yeah. Uh, secret agency kind of stuff during the World War. So, I mean, that's really interesting, too. So, Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to you. What's your favorite Christopher Lee? Well, I was going to say The Wicker Man, but that's been picked now. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but I'm thinking of piggybacking on Gene's answer. So. Gene's answer was pretty good. He got See, to, I cheated, though. He I sort cheated. of cheated. <laughs> All right. Well, I, uh, I mean, I, did, I loved him as Saruman. And, uh, of course, I love the extended editions where we get to see like, his death scene and uh, mm. you know, his, final, his final moments as Saruman. Where he, as in the theatrical release, Saruman just kind of disappears. It's like, oh, he was mad that everything flooded and then he left. Uh, but uh, so yeah but i i guess for my favorite i would probably pick the first one that i saw him in which was taste the blood of dracula uh and uh it's yeah it's a great great vampire movie it's i believe it's before they started moving into the like the modern era dracula ones in in hammer horror i always like the period ones yes. the period ones were so pretty um i think i'm gonna go a little different here and i'm gonna go um with an amicus film uh, and that is the house that drip blood. I, I was a sucker for, I mean, the Dracula stuff to me is a given and as a, as a fan, but I just loved when he did these amicus films and they did these great little big, you know, short pieces within them. And this one was just so good, uh, between his with the, um, the uh, I believe this is the witch mother that he ends up getting burned to death in, as effigy in the doll, and then you had Peter Cushing in there as well with the the whole um, waxwork bit, and then of course John Pertwee as a vampire, which is sort of amazing. But I loved the Amicus work that he did, and this had Ingrid Pitt as well, and it was sort of like a meeting of all the great actors at the time, and they were all done by Robert Block, mm-hmm. and they were all so good. Um, but you're right. It's a horrible question because it's so hard to pick. <laughs> you're basically a bad person for asking I, I it. I am a bad person for asking it. Um, well, there's, so, no, there's no bad answer, really. Yeah. It's true. They, they, unless maybe howling the too. Howling too. Your sister is a werewolf. <laughs> and even then, Christopher Lee would agree with you. Yes, I should not have done that movie. Um, okay, everybody. So we're kind of getting towards the end and I just wanted to give each of you a chance to do your final thoughts on Sir Christopher Lee. So, um, Mark, we'll start with you. The finest of villains, the best bad guy. Uh, he, as you said, always elevated, uh, even perhaps somewhat borderline movies that he was in. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he is the consummate villain. Uh, and I love the villains. Good answer. Good answer. 
Um, Rachel? Oh, poetry. Um, you know, every time I get sad, my husband looks at me and says, what is already dead can never die. So, you know, I think, I think he left an enduring legacy and my thoughts and prayers are with his family. Well, they mourn the, the even deeper loss of him in their life. So True. Um, Eric? Well, he made me like Dracula. <laughs> That's a true answer for somebody that doesn't normally like vampires. It's a good one. Uh, and Jean? Well, I would say it'd be, it's going to be a challenge for anyone who in the foreseeable future who actually takes a crack at re, refilming the Tolkien material without someone of his cal- caliber as one of the great wizards. True. So I think my um, my response to to his loss still remains is what I said, which was, uh, you know, rest in peace, but rise a legend, and you will never replace Christopher Lee in the minds and hearts of his fans, and uh, but he will live on forever in his work. And uh, it was a shock to hear that he had passed because he's so indelibly in your head Dracula and you cannot kill Dracula that he's an immortal creature in so many ways um, not just as Dracula but as Saruman and, and you it shouldn't it doesn't make sense but he was just a guy and a, a man but he's going to be a legend forever and that's what I take from it and rest in peace sir thank you for your gifts and from Dracula, the dead travel fast. Exactly. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you here. Not at all. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and, and thanks for letting me share in like, the, the memorializing of uh, Christopher Lee. We, love, uh, we loved having you, and um, you're one of us. So thank you. <laughs> one of us. One of us. <laughs> uh, so thank you again. And everyone, please check out uh, Tiny Plastic Men on Hulu. Can't say enough about it. And uh, Mark, um, one last uh, chance. What, where can we see you next? Uh, well, uh, oh, sorry, that was the dog. <laughs> she wanted to get her plug in, too. Uh, let's see, uh, you can uh, hear me next in uh, the upcoming Baldur's Gate game uh, from uh, Beamdog. Uh, I don't think I can tell you the title yet because they're having their press conference in July. But uh, that should be coming out this fall. And it's uh, all new Baldur's Gate content. Uh, basically, it's an all new game that takes place in between uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, with new content by Beamdog, and they got the original cast back. Uh, so, uh, so for fans of that series, uh, it's a nice return. Uh, also, The Long Dark uh, from Hinterland Studio, which, as I mentioned earlier, is on Steam in alpha right now, but uh, it's uh, being expanded constantly all the time. And we already have a quarter million players, so come on board. And, of course, Tiny Plastic Men on Hulu uh, will be filming the next season uh, this uh, fall, actually, so we'll be writing it in the summer. But the first three seasons are available to American audiences on Hulu. Uh, you can also check out my radio show, The Irrelevant Show, at cbc.ca slash irrelevant show. And, and we have free podcasts. It's a sketch comedy show uh, of individual uh, sketches as well as full episodes. Awesome. Cool. And Gene, where can we see you? Are you going to be at Comic-Con next month? Yeah, I'll be at Comic-Con. I'm supposed to be doing a panel. Um, has something to do with... Um, 
I don't know whether it's new toy companies or toy something or other. It'll be toy something. They always ask me to do a panel. I'm not never sure what it is till I get there. I just sort of ad lib. But uh, I think it's uh, <laughs> he's like, an improver. <laughs> yeah, I just don't bet improv. So uh, yeah, so it's like late Saturday. Um, I think we'll probably still be showing our stuff at the Diamond Select Booth Creature Replica. It's uh, a new venture of my own with um, Jeff Byers, Craig Deer, um, Nick Epley, and uh, and also my friend John Santagata, who's uh, been helping us shepherd the stuff through the factory. And all of my usual contract worth work is you can find at comic stores. Do a lot of stuff for Diamond Select, uh, a lot of stuff for uh, Mez, different people, DC. So I'm kind of all over the place. You can find me on Facebook under my name or under Preacher Replica. Um, you look up my name, all you're going to find is churches or me. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> and his toy line, uh, Creature Replica, we, ha- we had them, uh, he and Jeff on the show previously, uh, is the cryptozoology line that he does with Bigfoot, the Yeti, and the Horror Hound. Yeah. Yeah, that's you. I just I was just looking at that online today. That's amazing. I'm I'm loving the Yeti. Awesome. And, yeah, he's kind of and, my fave too. And the uh, the zombie version of Horror Hound is is awesome too. I gotta get that guy. Yeah, we're pretty excited about. It. We're actually working on the paint masters for the variant editions right now. We just had a a friend of mine who runs a site called Toys Mag, is a French site. I just gave him the exclusive break news on um, the white, the ghost wolf of the Rougarou that we're putting out, the werewolf. We're going to be announcing those soon. Probably in the next month we'll open a pre-order on the stuff too. So we're pretty psyched. It's just coming down to the home stretch is just kind of hair-raising, getting everything in order. That's excellent. Have a good time at Comic-Con as well. Thanks, I will. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. Mark, we'd love to have you back at some point. Uh, if you're if you're game, sure. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Well, we will have links, to the great sites and shows, and everything we've talked about at um, fangirlmag.com and also on the YouTube channel. So keep it and on the Facebook page. So keep an eye out for those. Exactly. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Rest in peace, Sir Christopher Lee. We love you, and we will see you next week on Fangirl Radio. <laughs>